1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and wonderful to be back with you again for uh, yet another week. And I'm delighted uh, today, I'm going to be talking with uh, with Letham Green, and we're going to be talking about creating awesome performance in times of austerity. And before we uh, join Letham, I'd like to say a, a big thank you, and a thank you to David Long, who talked to me last week about Built to Lead, and I thought he had some really fabulous ideas around uh, really engaging your people and I personally just love the, the book club idea, which uh, I've used uh, myself within my Elevation program for the fa- last five years, but I've not used it in the way that uh, David does with his employees. And just hearing how the idea has, uh, has, has grown and has generated all sorts of benefits for those employees, both sort of personally and, and generated millions of dollars worth of uh, ideas as well, uh, was uh, really, really fascinating. And uh, looking forward to bringing that idea Um, myself and my elevation program idea into some organizations um, after being inspired by David. So how do you create awesome performance when your budgets are being severely cut? And maybe some of you are listening here today and thinking, actually, I'm in an organization and the the budgets are being cut. We're having to do less with more. And therefore, if you're trying to do less with more, this interview should be um, for you. I'm going to talk today with a, a true innovator he works in the public sector, and we'll ask him to define what that is um, shortly. Um, and what he's done is he's demonstrated how it is possible to inspire awesome performance in your organization, even within this backdrop of funding cuts. Now, I met Latham Green um, through Charisma expert Nicky Owens, who's been on the show recently and did a great show with me on Charisma. And I was really fascinated to hear about what he'd done in um, and what his uh, team and um, what his his authority had done and I met him and he was just full of energy and he was full of passion for what he was doing and passionate about making change I'm also going to ask him a a question because I also asked him what was a was anything that's a little bit different about you and he said "Um, well I was once a world champion ballroom dancer at the age of eight Um, I think that's uh, really is quite different Um, And he began his career in the hospitality sector, he's moved into the National Health Service and for the past 15 years he's been in local government. He's done things like managing school meals for um, a county council and then for East Sussex County Council. Um, He's today the assistant director for HR and he leads the delivery of of HR to over 15,000 employees. So these are big roles, that's a big authority. And he's got an MBA from the University of Kent in Canterbury. He's also in the past managed um, ICT and finance as well as um, HR, that's uh, IT. And uh, he's led the implementation of things like Invest in People, uh, the implementation of SAP, which is a a big program covering HR and finance and payroll and pensions and things, and leadership development and a range of high-impact organization and development initiatives, he is a successful team and individual coach. He's a master practitioner of NLP, a bit like myself. And he's also introduced the award-winning mediation service into his council and award-winning mediation service in the council in 2009. So a big welcome to Letham Green.
2: Well, Thank you, Chris, and what an awesome introduction.
1: You're very welcome, sir. And, and Letham, I've got to start this. I, you've got to tell us a little bit about um, uh, how you you know, you first became this, how oh, you became this ballroom dancing world champion because you are the first ballroom dancing for, uh, world champion I've ever met. So... <laughs> <laughs> it
2: kind of takes my mind back to, um, you know, a day in ni- in the 1960s and walking into something like the Blackpool Tower Ballroom, which is a huge building, even for kind of a, an adult, but I was a kind of an eight-year-old coming from a, a very kind of, black and white um, part of the world in the northeast of England. It's a mining area. And um, walking into that, But I can still remember kind of that sensation and feeling and, you know, taking our place on that um, ballroom dance floor and dancing our military two-step, which was the dance we did to win the competition it was amazing I can still kind of tingle and um, get that kind of sense of achievement it was a brilliant time for me how did I get involved in that I mean it was kind of it was a strange thing I've got two sisters Margaret and Glynis and they were wanting to do um, dance lessons and my mother said to them yes you can go to your dance lesson but you've got to take your brother with you and um, I'm sure that my mother probably just wanted a little bit of sanity check because we were I was four at the time that this happened my sisters would have been six and seven So um, off we went and they took me. I remember them walking into uh, the community center, this kind of tiny little village hall and um, stepped through. And it was as if this kind of, you know, they'd won the lottery because boys just didn't dance. And suddenly, you know, this flock of girls was around and kind of squabbling to uh, take my hand and be part of that community, and you know, I stepped into that world of sparkle and hairspray at the age of four, and eventually kind of woke up into reality at about 14. And for 10 years, um, dancing dominated my life, and that's how it—that's how it came about. Uh, my two sisters, and that was it.
1: Well, wonderful. And you, your story reminds me a little bit. Uh, so, probably many people are listening here may have well have heard of the story of Billy Elliott. Uh, you know, it's a boy who wanted to, to dance. Uh, it was ballet for him I'm from the north of England. And, and I'm from the north of England as well. And I know, in terms of my family, I think my father probably would have disowned me. It's ridiculous if uh, I wanted to dance. And uh, I just wonder if you faced those challenges. You said you were the only, only boy, you know, because it must have taken a lot of tenacity and commitment to you know, overcome that.
2: Well, I, certainly in the early days that when I started. My dad would rather that I was doing
1: boxing
2: or football or soccer, definitely. Dancing was just not a boys thing, absolutely not. And it probably would have, I think he was hoping it might have been a passing fad. So I went through that stage of no interest and certainly in primary school in my kind of years between four and ten, it was just what Letham did. You know, When you get a bit older, of course, it becomes slightly different and you might get a little bit of kind of teasing or ridicule. But of course, once you become a champion, everyone thinks it's amazing. It's like anything in life, isn't it? However marginal it might be, people like to be connected with success. And suddenly, of course, my dad went from not talking about it to telling the whole world about it. (laughs) And We were invited to his work event to do kind of the showcase demonstration. So they didn't have any cabaret, which is what they would normally have for their workers' kind of Christmas party. They had Letham and my partner at the time, she was called Linelco, an amazing dancer. And um, we spent half an hour doing a demonstration at Ballroom with a very proud father in the corner. So it just shows exactly the same as Billy Elliot's father who went from you know, you're not going to be a, a ballet dancer to watching him perform at the London Palladium in Swan Lake, so it's the same thing. Um, you know, it's um, it takes tenacity, doesn't it? Bravery and courage to kind of stick with it. But when you're when you succeed, of course, it's quite easy to, to start to convert people into a different way of thinking,
1: yeah. yeah and that black sort of um, Blackpool ballroom, it's uh, it's really hollow ground, isn't it? In that, that yeah. sort of sector, it's it's a special place. And one of the
2: key judges at the time, and you know, your listeners certainly in America will probably uh, know him from uh, *Dancing with the Stars*. That's um, Len Goodman. He was um, the the judge for my final kind of um, uh, final dance, and it's an amazing, an amazing place to go. It's brilliant kind of experience in terms of um, just the the whole architecture but the kind of the vibe and the culture which it generates in in the building is is really sensational and it stayed with me all of my life and it's hard to describe kind of going from something which really did not exist in my life as I said it was a mining village it was a very very small dance um, class studio there was probably about 30 of us in total and my teachers who were you know really exceptional were called Bob and Vi Lennon and they always kind of made us believe that anything was possible. We were never made to feel under pressure to win. It was a strange thing, but they just always wanted us to be as good as we possibly can and more. And that whole concept of, I mean, we really worked hard. Of course, everyone does if you're going to be successful, no matter how old you are. Uh, We worked very hard. And as I said, dancing was everything we did. And, you know, seven days a week, we were always practicing, but they really, made us believe that it was possible. And even though we came from this very small place that nobody had heard of, and like anything, you know, those um, listeners who've watched the film Strictly Ballroom will have seen Tina Sparkle and the Australian Ballroom Federation. It's very, very political. All of these things are. How do you break through into that kind of top echelons of dancing when you're coming from some somewhere in a dance school that nobody has heard of? But. Often we went and that you know i can still remember taking our sandwiches and flask and my mother sitting in the corner with my dance partner's parents and the bob and violin and watching and that was the community of support we had and we believed that you know this was possible and it became true it was great yeah and that's kind of been a you know a, a mantra that has kind of stayed with me throughout my career
1: what a what a wonderful uh yeah, wonderful kind of start at that age to be exposed to that and uh, mm. it sounds like it, you know, it became part of your belief system and uh, yeah. it's helping even today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's something there, doesn't it, in terms of how people can make you feel and it's those kind of feelings which you remember what people do and how they make you feel which you remember rather than what people are saying to you. And the same applied in terms of my early career. The first job I had when I left university going into the hospitality sector was in a place called the Park Hotel, and two um, men ran that, um, Steve Whittle and um, and Eric, uh, as he was known, that's the only uh, label he had. And it was a very down-at-heel hotel, really, and not somewhere that I would have kind of aspired to work in, but I was kind of encouraged to go and, and speak with them and see what would happen. And their mantra for that hotel was, we create a team who make dreams come true and where magic happens, which... You know, it just sounded very different and strange. And I wanted to be part of that. And again, that's exactly what they did. You know, they made people feel and believe that they were there to make people's lives better. We paid very low money in that particular sector. Uh, As I said, it was a down at heel hotel, and yet people were queuing up to. Kind of have their weddings in that particular location and venue, but that's what it was. It wasn't a high-end um, bedroom hotel; it was a function hotel. And um, you know, my job there was a wedding planner, which had a little bit of the glitz and the glam of ballroom dancing, I suppose. Uh, and it was amazing, just in terms of their philosophy, and you know how lucky I was to to have that as my first venture into business.
1: and positive, you know, yeah, positive philosophy makes a. Big difference isn't it doesn't it I'm just yeah, gonna, yeah do you, do you want to just um, explain to us what the what the public sector is I know for people in the UK it' will be quite obvious but it may be as this shows very internationally accessed it might just be helpful to explain what it is and uh, the role of your authority
2: yeah the public sector is that part of the economy which um, is delivered by by the government so you know the 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 tax generated through through individual members, that's paid into the government. And here in the UK, either that, or there'll be a range of services delivered nationally, such as um, the armed forces, and locally, to make you know, the explanation slightly simpler, uh, we've got local councils made up of locally elected um, members of the community. I happen to work for one of those, called the Sussex County Council. And we provide a range of services such as education, um, social care, um, economic development, library services, the road infrastructure. Um, and we serve a, a population of around um, half a million, and our budget is just shy of uh, a billion pounds. And as you said at, at the introduction, you know, we employ kind of around 15,000 employees. So, it's a you know, it is big business. Um, but clearly, you know, what we do in terms of this, the scale of public sector, we're, we're classified as a medium-sized um, um, public service and in the the national perspective but that's the kind of stuff that we'll be doing so it's very varied and supporting the local community that's the big feature and and drive of what we're we're looking to achieve
1: and what what sort of challenges do you do you face right now
2: well the big issue and you know this is right across the piece certainly in terms of um, public service in the uk no doubt this is an international flavor as well is around how do you deliver more with less money. Over the last three years, um, this organisation has had to identify thirty million pounds worth of savings, and over the next three to, f- to four years, we've got a further sixty million pounds to come out of our budget, which is hugely challenging for us. So that in itself will, you know, keep a lot, um, you know, give us a lot of uh, time and 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 challenge. But equally, we sitting aside um, against that, we have the key issue of attracting and retaining talent into the organization. You know, as you said, we're a big business. Equally, we want to be providing, you know, brilliant quality service. So how do you pe- compete against the private sector who may be not struggling with the same headlines here? It's, about, you know, potentially doom and gloom in the public service and who would want to go and work there? And yet we've got a brilliant array of career opportunities for people. Um we've got the similar challenge to, to many people, you know, in terms of facing that shifting composition of your workforce. You know, for the first time in history, we've got now four and soon to be five generations at work at the same time. And that in itself brings, you know, interesting challenges for certain people who are in my profession in HR and organizational development. And how do you address that and respond flexibly to, to that challenge? Um, the skill shortage in, you know, in many areas such as finance, um, IT, where there's a lot of competition, property, certain parts of that care sector like, such as occupational therapists, and then of course overlaid across that you've got the advances in technology. You know, it's amazingly difficult to actually keep abreast of that and then respond to it you know, whilst also being very exciting in terms of how we can kind of liberate what we do and free up some of that bureaucracy.
1: Excellent. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break now, but after the break, we're going to sort of move into um, you know, the, the drive uh, that you've had and the authorities had to create this really sort of awesome and contemporary workplace with this backdrop that you, you currently have that you've just articulated. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm.
0: Facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories
0: of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a
1: member yet?
0: Now,
1: back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Leitham Green. We're talking about creating awesome performance in times of austerity. And, and Leitham, I, I want to ask you, you know, what was the drive behind uh, you and the authority creating uh, this, uh, you know, what you define as an awesome and contemporary workplace?
2: Well, the key, the key um, kind of instigator behind it was the creation of a new department. We call it Business Services Department. And that's a department made up of HR, finance, um, IT, property, uh, procurement activities. So it's kind of that support function which underpins the, the operation of the, the county council and our front-facing services. So we were looking to pull that together, identify ways of streamlining and be more effective... And equally providing something which people wanted to be part of. So you kind of hear the the usual rhetoric in terms of creating centers of excellence or, you know, being excellent. And to me, that kind of sounds a little bit boring. I'm not going to jump out of bed and say, wow, I can't wait to work for a center of excellence. Okay. So, you know, what it just kind of doesn't do it for me, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so uh, in a conversation that I was having with the leadership team of the department, what is it that we were looking to achieve and how could we go out to actually encourage people to want to be part of the future? So it was looking at the culture which we're trying to create and be part of so that's where it came from. And for us, the term awesome relates to brilliance or excellence in the workplace and what we come in to actually achieve and deliver for those colleagues of ours who are out there on the front line doing really difficult and challenging jobs you know, and making sure that for us, the vulnerable people in the community are safe and looked after well. And that's what we want people to be part of. Awesome. And if, you know, do, you want to, do you want to work for an awesome workplace? To me, it sounds a little bit more appealing than... Do you want to work for a centre of excellence?
1: Which is, it kind of adds, adds more colour, doesn't it? And it's, you know, pe- people like to be part of something that's kind of remarkable. And and I think maybe mm. the word like excellence is just overused and maybe mm. can feel a bit corporate, can't it? Mm.
2: And we, we did spend a lot of time kind of debating, you know, what this would mean and engaging with our colleagues who you know are part of the the entity, the enterprise that we're seeking to create and, you know, asking them what does the, the concept awesome mean? Because for us certainly in the UK, awesome is quite a Marmite word. Uh, you know, It's not something which automatically flows off everyone's lips and that in itself could generate something, but what it did generate was a debate, you know, the yes. fact that people are talking about it mm. is what we wanted to achieve. I doubt that people are really going to spend that much time talking about whether or not they're going to be part of a center of excellence. And what came about was that for colleagues, that term of awesome meant it was a slick operation that really makes things happen quickly and effectively. And that causes people both kind of within the organization, as well as, you know, the people that we're there to support and our customers to really wild or blown away by what's what you're doing. I mean, I would imagine generally people wouldn't say that's a brilliant spreadsheet you've produced for me, accountant, thank you. But you might say, wow, thank you, Leitham, you've really made a difference to me, understanding, you know, what I need to do with my budget. And it's about that how you have personally made that difference to the professional activity we're delivering.
1: Yeah, you make a good point there about, you know, the, the title of that, uh, you know, if, if you want to create something that people are going to uh, to really think about and engage with, you know, a controversial t- title like that does get them talking. Um, yeah.
2: And, and, and of course, what that means in terms of the underpinning, you know, way of working can be whatever you want it to be. But probably something like awesome is going to be a positive thing. You know, you, if, if you are acting awesomely, however you know, you're going to describe it, you're probably not going to be behaving negatively. And that was, you know, that's what we managed to generate through the debates with colleagues. And the kind of the other thing that came about was, um, you know, it was making people feel as if it was kind of magic. And you know, it kind of connects back with the the world of you know ballroom dancing and equally what you know I kind of described in the hotel that sense of you know providing a customer service which was really brilliant, magical that I never thought could happen. And certainly in times of austerity, when you're looking to reduce change and deliver things in a very difficult pressurized environment that basically is what you're trying to to achieve and you know and make happen for for, for colleagues
1: i was i was talking i had a meeting with a um a really engaging chap yesterday who's going to come on the show in september he's the uh, he's the managing director for costa The coffee company um, and for their international business, and um, I called Andy Marshall, and he was just saying how blown away he'd been by um, stopping at one of his stores on the motorway yesterday when he came to meet me. And there was uh, somebody, somebody there, a member of staff, and uh, she just she engaged everybody in the queue. And uh, why why are you guys um, not a bit more cheerful this morning? And she just had everybody just feeling fantastic. And uh, there was a couple of people wanting to give testimonials there and then at how they made how she made them feel. Uh,
2: Which is a great thing, isn't it? And the fact that I'm sure that everyone's got their own story in terms of how somebody, and certainly in terms of kind of that customer service environment, has made them feel. And the fact that we're actually talking about it or, or needing to talk about it is in itself a demonstration of the fact that we need to change that environment because this is something which people should just routinely experience. And one of the things that we kind of spend a lot of time with colleagues here doing is we recognize that, of course, you can't, not everybody can choose the job they do because of the circumstances of life but everybody can choose the attitude that they bring into the workplace. You know, we spend a lot of time in work and therefore you need to love what you're doing and who you're working with and where you're working. And it's like the story you've just said in terms of that person in the the Costa, you know, um, cafe. She's chosen to operate and behave in that way and make people feel great about the fact that they're standing in a queue waiting for a cup of coffee. Yeah, and that's really what the awesome kind of sense is what it's, that's what it's trying to, to achieve and deliver.
1: Wonderful. So what is the, your, you know, your approach around uh, this, this awesome philosophy? What does it entail?
2: Well, it's the whole kind of thrust of it is about the, the culture and the environment which we're trying to, to establish and um, generate within the business. And, Traditionally, of course, you might have a leadership group which would send out their edict in terms of this is what we're going to do and here's a set of behaviours and this is how we expect you to operate and perform. And probably, you know, you might get a core group of people who will follow that instruction because they're, you know, following the hierarchy and then others who won't. They'll just ignore it because, you know, they can. And cultures are quite difficult things to kind of influence and yet, you know, it's the people who operate and work in an environment who create it. So the the essence behind is about engaging with colleagues who we work with and saying this is what we're trying to establish. As a leadership team we were very clear in terms of we want to be you know, ahead of the game and stand for something which is really positive so awesome and contemporary. How and what are we going to do to bring that to life? And we sent out a message to colleagues in the organization to say if you want to be part of this let us know, and it was as simple as that. And we have got around 40 volunteers who stepped forward into that space of saying, "Yeah, we want to sign up to working with you to to change this." And those are individuals we've called awesomeators mm-hmm. because we're looking for them to help us create the sense of awesome. And equally, we have engaged very strongly with the kind of the leadership community and managers and team leaders so that they're aware of what you know, we're trying to achieve and the role and the importance of them themselves and kind of role modeling this whole concept of being awesome and enabling this positivity to happen.
1: And it's a really good point, that, isn't it? When you, you do, you get engaged with people um, within an organization and you're asking them to, to demonstrate, um, you know, being, being awesome, being an awesomeator, and then they're coming up against maybe people in the leadership team who are not, adopting that um, philosophy and, uh, you know, something that has to be led from the top as well, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And there are two things there that I probably um, reflect on. One of them is about the importance, of course, that life isn't perfect. And so we do make mistakes and sometimes we get it wrong. And the key issue there is about how we turn around the, the problem that we've created you know, it's a bit like um, Buzz Lightyear. This isn't flying. This is falling with style. I think, as he said, and what we're trying to do, you know, it's recognising that we're human and the service that we do, and we will get things wrong sometimes. But let's not compound it. Let's really put it right with style and panache. And when you know you you come up against perhaps leaders and you know your team leader or or, or manager who isn't providing that environment in which you can excel it's about having the bravery and the courage you know to give that feedback we're adults who come into work it's you know but often we kind of change that particularly in a hierarchical organization where you've got leader and suddenly the team member becomes very subordinate or childlike and you know it does take a lot of courage to kind of step forward and challenge behavior when it's not what you want it to be but that is what we've tried to establish through awesomeators sharing positive stories is the other big thing you know so rather than enforcing or being dictatorial in terms of you're not going to behave like this or you shouldn't do that you should do this sharing stories of when we see awesome behavior or see contemporary behavior and promoting that is what we've said about doing. And we've done this through, um, it's very simple because it's, you know, it's all done and very low budget here. Uh, we use poster notes and we've got, you know, you're awesome today because, and colleagues will just give um, each other a poster note kind of in you know, saying thank you, that was great, and little things, of course, make a big difference often in life to people, don't they? You know, so somebody might have picked up the telephone for you and answered it, or taken responsibility to cover a query when it's come in from a customer that they didn't have to. And there's a brilliant um, website to check out, which is a, a thousand awesome things, and you know these different little things which make people feel really special and positive and awesome. You know, and often it's these collection of little stories which can just generate a great groundswell of kind of um, momentum, which helps start to shift that culture. And eventually those individuals who might have been more kind of negative or cynical or sceptical will start eventually to change their way of working because it's more um, acceptable or expected that this is the way things are done around here.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think so. Those those little things are are great. I remember working with one one company and we uh, had this little thing about uh, you you can tell how someone's feeling by um, how they say, you know, how they act to you saying, you know, how are you in the morning? And some people, Mm. you know, you're you're fair to middling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sometimes even worse. And then some people are sort of great and fantastic. And, uh, you know, those people who are in a good space are often, you know, fantastic Uh, and or fabulous or 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 actually the act of saying it makes you feel better so i i I had this little bit of fun with people and then the organization kind of adopted it so everybody would come in in the morning and say i'm fantastic and for start they were just taking the mickey Mm. but eventually it spread throughout the company and and, (laughs) and it had a huge effect on their energy and it was a little tiny thing um but it became good fun and they would say and they would laugh you know um it was just a little thing so so you 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 introduced um you know being awesome you introduced some awesomeators and and we're 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 talking about british people here and we're kind of known for stiff upper lip and and that sort of thing i mean you, you must have had some cynicism to the concept and and how did you overcome it well
2: the we we did spend a huge amount of time um Engaging with that community I've just described, in terms of you know our automators, so rather than myself going out and saying this is what you know we think we should be doing, I've you know I work equally with a group of um, senior leaders who have been hugely supportive and fully committed to that. So Kevin Foster, who's our chief operating officer, Marion Kelly, who's our chief finance officer and director, uh, and Mo Hensley, who's our assistant director of um, of service finance all bought into this to enable us to kind of get this shift to happen and one of our colleagues um, who's on the management team Laura Langstaff she works for two um, organisations East Sussex County Council and um, Surrey County Council and that was brilliant as well because she was able to kind of bring an alternative perspective in to kind of share with her team you know this is a particularly novel way of working so it wasn't just one person saying this is how it should be and we tried to kind of spread the message and build the momentum up from kind of the front face the you know the cold face of the build business so people were talking about this over lunch or having a coffee you know and then once that momentum started to gather a little bit of pace we um, held what we called an awesome summit Everything seems to be, um, takes on a different perspective when you give the label of a summit. For some reason, it's far better than a, um, a conference or a meeting. Yep. And it gave a little bit of gravitas to the situation. And uh, we kind of celebrated what this would look like. And it was really interesting to see kind of the, the power of giving people freedom and responsibility. So there we were talking about, you know, what and how could we generate um, an awesome culture in terms of, you know, communication is really important and looked for, asked for volunteers to help us with this and a group of people, or the awesome went away and developed a, a, a blog for us which is where we can post our messages and it was really quite amazing just the, the result that we got from the momentum and the enthusiasm from those colleagues and this blog was created within a matter of weeks you know, had we done it through the traditional hierarchical route, we probably would still have our working party, you know, debating the terms of reference of what this communication mechanism would be, you know, and demonstrates that once you've got support from colleagues, they understand what it is you're trying to achieve and why you're doing something, and you communicate that, you know, as clearly as you can. It's surprising just where that kind of groupthink and the power of the Know, the organization and the people that are working with it can take you
1: wonderful and so and I think that was one of the things when we spoke that really kind of you know I thought I thought was different you know different was the use of blogs and also social media as well that you were, mm. you were engaging with whereas uh, you know some in some organizations people don't want people on social media and don't want people blogging um, but actually it's so important today isn't it
2: well, this is the, the new world, and you, know, you can either embrace it or you can try and fight it. And perhaps that is something in terms of, you know, you may have most of your decision makers might be of a generation where this type of engagement and technology is viewed as threatening or intimidating. Equally, it might not be something which they do as part of their routine and habit, you know, which is, you know, an important thing, but for the new generation coming through, Certainly, some of our you know young people into the organization they 've never known anything but a twenty four seven organization with instant access to information and data, so unless we can kind of keep a pace with that it 's only going to go way one way for us, which is not positive equally, you know you should be able to trust people to op- to operate and behave responsibly you know that 's part of our value base and we say it so why would you then go out and create policies and procedures which locks all of that down you know and if people are going to choose to behave irresponsibly they will do it whether or not you're preventing people from doing it or not you know so let's be open let's embrace it let's see where this takes us and from our experience you know all you know, we have generated a very positive response and i think people will respond in, in a way that's going to enhance their performance rather than the opposite direction
1: yeah, we've smooth. got it we've, so, yeah, so you're saying you write some organizations will spend their time focusing on the you know putting rules in place to stop uh, the 0.1%. that would abuse the system mm. um, as opposed Absolutely. to focusing on the ninety nine point nine nine percent that would uh, you know really um add value to the organization I we'll have to go into a commercial break again uh, right now and uh, but after the break we're going to look at uh, um, the ABC for, of awesomeness and then we're going to get into things like um, how um, Lethem and his authority have been you know, helping rising stars in their organization so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes
2: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here
0: voice america
2: business network
0: Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel.
2: together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time
0: Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
0: Into be more achieve more with host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to info at be that's info at be now back to chris cooper um hi this is uh, chris cooper
1: i'm back of uh, of, uh, uh chris uk. i'm back with letham green um of East Sussex County Council and Leitham, we, uh, we were talking about being awesome I know there is like a formula in your authority for being awesome that you created, A plus B plus C what does it stand for?
2: Well I think like all great things there's got to be kind of that magic formula and somebody coming from the hospitality sector and enjoying food, a recipe for awesome success is an important thing so for us it stands for and I should say there's a, there's a star that goes with each letter so it's A star plus B star, plus C star equals awesome. And that is attitude plus behavior plus co-creation will deliver us awesome
1: performance. So so what is the star? Is that something else or is that just a thought?
2: Well, the, well, the star is that kind of magic, that wow.
1: you know. So you can have
2: a good or a positive attitude and you can behave very proactively and you've consulted with people and you might still be... Kind of good. I mean, and we're looking for that magic and that wow and be really knocked or blown away by what people are doing. And so the start is there deliberately to make sure that we're, we're always striving for that magic.
1: Excellent. You know, the, the ballroom dancing wouldn't be the same without all that sparkle, would it?
2: It Would't you see, in every way that you go, you can always look to bring a little bit of sparkle and hairspray to what you're doing, that <laughs> dra- a drama and intensity. it's there in whatever you're you're doing in life, I think
1: <laughs> no, I, I really get you know the how the, the right attitudes and behaviors are important. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to say, say about that, but i i I'm interested in this co-creation and what thats what that's about and how it helps in particular.
2: Well, the the co-creation for us is really, you know, the fundamental aspect in terms of what has enabled the cultural shift to happen. I mean, it's still work in progress here. The department has, you know, been in existence for for around 18 months. So, you know, it's not the finished product by any stretch. And the co-creation is where we've gone out and looked for the key people who are key and influential within that hierarchy of an organization. So whilst you might have a director who will have some authority and power, your influences will often be Fred or Frieda who's in the the cafe or at the water cooler having a chat in the kitchen saying what do you think about this and what what, what do you think about this new initiative and will really influence people very locally in whether or not they will buy into something or not. So that is what we're looking to achieve and bring people into an op- into a space where they've got the opportunity to share their views and opinions and where the leadership is able to share its view and opinion of the challenges ahead and come together with this concept of creating something which is going to be more positive and effective and sustainable. And of course, it'll gain better traction because if people understand why we're doing something, however difficult that might be because you know, in our space, as I shared with You and your listeners earlier, you know, we're looking to achieve millions of pounds of efficiency gain over the next couple of years, and we've already delivered that. Some of these decisions are really tough, but you know, if you have that dialogue and debate with people, so that they understand why and what you're doing, and how best can we go about delivering that, we might be able to do that slightly easier.
0: Mm. So,
2: you know, if you imagine, you know, I kind of um, compare it to putting a ping pong ball on your palm of your hand, an open palm. How does that feel compared to being able to hold a ping pong ball in your closed fist? You know, and the closed fist approach, which is your traditional hierarchical dictatorial approach to leadership and, um, and management, might feel comfortable for the person who holds it, but it's very restrictive, it's strangling, it really will just suffocate an organization. The other approach, of course, with the open palm is much, especially, you know, the, a gust of wind might blow, it might blow off your palm, you've got to start again you've got to be much more agile, flexible creative in looking at solutions and it's quite scary for somebody it's a very different way of, of looking at life and that is what this whole co-creation is about it's kind of that viral change um, approach and philosophy, it's really picking up on some of those concepts mm.
1: And I mean what's, what's come out for me in the conversation is it's a, it's a, a few years ago I spent quite a Quite a lot of time working in, in supporting local uh, authorities as a, a consultant, and I, I did uh, not in your authority. Um, but what I did notice is that is that quite a few of the you know functional departments they really had that closed fist around the ping pong ball approach in terms of you know this is my my area of responsibility. You know, keep out. We make the decisions, um, and you just kind of wished that actually people might um, be much more open with an open palm and actually be open to criticism but also support and realising that they don't have the, the monopoly on ideas. And, of
2: course, that takes a huge amount of courage and confidence, that's the other thing. You know, you, it might feel for a leader that you know, they're showing the sense of authority and gravitas with the closed fist, but it is counterproductive. Certainly in this world of Volatility, complexity, ambiguity, it's unpredictable. That is not going to get survival or productivity and profit for any public or private sector organization. You really need to be able to be courageous and, you know, have that leap of faith to be able to, and the skill to manage the ping pong ball on your open palm. And here, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with a group of people and a community of, you know, professionals who Understand that and are really prepared to give it a shot. You know, if it doesn't work, something may well not work, then you just, you know, learn from that and let's try something new. You know, th- and that is the only way that we're going to survive. This closed fist approach, and you're quite right, you know, it's just. In those back office functions, often you will come across this. It's just not going to um, achieve anything that we need to certainly in the public sector innovation that we, we, we we're required to deliver over the, the next three to five years.
1: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Those people who can see that um, don't see bravery in that; they see uh, see weakness in that. So the opportunity isn't there to become much more courageous and much more open. And
2: that whole concept—I mean, it's a bit like um, you know—you can put out a problem to your local community or the people that we're serving in terms of the group think. You know, here is the problem that we're trying to to solve. Do you have a suggestion, an idea? And this is where you've got the you know the benefit now of something like social media and be, being able to access people not just within the workspace, but they can go away and think about it. You know, and having the courage to say we're interested and we want to learn from you rather than thinking you've got to have the answer to everything. You know, what we need to be able to do as leaders, and I think we've done that within business services here in East Sussex is show that vision of where we want to take you, kind of that journey and that we've got a, you know, that compelling vision of the future and being able to tell the stories that people feel inspired to want to be part of that journey, which is what we've engaged the maters awesome in to help us share that narrative then looking for the rest of the community to actually help us find the solutions to achieve it as best as possible.
1: Mm. And that's, how, that's their role, is it? To, to share stories, to um, promote this idea of sharing post-it note pats on the back and uh, looking for stories to feed back into the organisation?
2: That would be absolutely part of it. I mean, it's not that they're given any special power. So it's not about, you know, just dive... You know, um, Diluting the responsibility of leadership. But conversations happen on a day to day basis, and it's about when things will come up, and people might be cynical or they might have some concerns or anxieties. We have people who are at a local level who are able to respond with a positive interpretation. The other concept there that we build into that is that it's also realistic, you know, that sense of realistic optimism because it's realistic and it's, you know, that we are having to make big changes within the organization, which for some people may be job losses and that's what we've experienced over the past three to five years. So it's like a pretending that this isn't gonna happen, but there is a, an alternative way of looking at, you know, the future. This doesn't necessarily mean it's doom and gloom and that's the end of my career. You know, you've gotta be able to take responsibility for the future and the direction of the rest of your career or life this is equally a a life skill, it's not just a workplace skill, and being realistic but optimistic in terms of what opportunities are actually out there.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. So that is really, you know, what the automator is doing, kind of making sure that we get that energy of conversation happening at a local level, but on a realistic basis, and also, you know, feeding some of that intelligence in so we know where we might need to put in some extra communication or training and development, or if there might be some resistance for particular, um, you know, programs of work that's happening.
1: And, Nathan, we've got just maybe about three or four minutes left. So I wondered um, if you could maybe just sort of briefly explain what you do with, um, you know, rising stars with people that you see real potential within your organization.
2: I mean, the rising. Well, one thing that um, you know we're very keen to do is in, in terms of you know showcasing talent, and we've taken that concept kind of one step further to the national platform. And I'm a policy board member of the Public Sector People Management Association, and there we're looking for the future HR leaders of the um, the public sector, and asking people to step forward. And through the help of uh, Manpower Group, who are our partner in this particular activity, identifying. Each year, we've got, um, you know, it's a free event to enter, competition, and those stars who've come forward, um, we will support them, open up opportunities for coaching. Uh, We've connected them with some senior leaders and influencers to help them with their careers. And the winner of those events then get the opportunity to shadow the president of the Public Sector People Management Association for a year. They'll sit on the National Policy Board to actually see how decisions are made and help shape and influence the future of the profession. I mean, a brilliant opportunity. And we're trying to do that at a local level, again, opening up um, the opportunity for people to come forward. An organisation of 14,000, it's quite easy to get lost, isn't it, in terms of just the size and the volume. So asking people to step into that space and showcase their talent and again they'll be given a similar kind of nurturing and encouragement from senior leaders across the council.
1: Aletha we've got about um, just over a minute left I wondered if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with?
2: Well um, one key issue of course is um, always try I think to look for a little bit of sparkle and uh, drama in your life and make that magic happen because it exists in no matter what you're doing and always again look to the work you're doing and how you're engaging in life with that sense of realistic optimism because that's the only way by taking personal responsibility in that space that you'll make it happen and you can influence far more than you believe you can
1: wonderful uh, it's been fascinating talking to you Latham, and and hearing how you know you and east sussex county council and you know a, an authority which is uh, you know <laughs> do, doing these things like um, creating an awesome uh, you know culture and awesomeators and uh, really looking at how you can promote your rising stars and, and creating an environment that uh, is you know attractive and appealing and, and also grow grow you know people can grow in it can't they um, personally through being a part of it so it's been wonderful to hear about all of that and uh, I'd like to say thank you for being on the show today.
2: And a big thank you for the invitation. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I hope the story has at least inspired in a little way for people to go out there and
1: kind of seize their sparkle. Thank you. And absolutely, uh, yeah, I think that's that something I'll take away. Bring, bring some sparkle to everything that you do. Everybody, yeah. can, everybody can take away from this. And, and I know, too, Lethan, you're, you're pretty hot on Twitter, and uh, you've got a, a Twitter handle, which is um, at Engage the Dream. <laughs> So, at Engage the Dream. So, if you want to um, Twitter and uh, engage with Letham, then um, please do that. Um, we've got um, on the show next week, we are talking uh, with uh, the telephone assassin, Anthony um, Steers. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to Anthony. Um, Anthony um, you know, helps organizations to uh, become much more effective um, over the phone. And it's something that we often do. We hide. We, we send emails. And uh, uh, we use... Uh, Use social media, um, but sometimes it's just important to pick up the phone. And when you do that, you, it's important to engage with people. So uh, do join us for that show next week. In the meantime, I wish you all a wonderful week. And once again, thanks to uh, Lethem Green and uh, East Sussex County Council. And uh, we shall speak again shortly next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.